Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Robin. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get this show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody. To episode 123 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for another hilarious episode with my amazingly hilarious guest, Monica Piper. That's right, Monica Piper, Emmy Award-winning Golden Globe-nominated comedy writer. Monica's written for Roseanne, Mad About You, Veronica's Closet, The Rugrats. Monica's had her own Showtime Network special, a critically acclaimed one-woman play, Not That Jewish, and so much more. We cover it all. I don't want to give it all away, but it's coming up in just a few minutes. I hope you caught episode 122 with Paul Mercurio. Such an amazing conversation. Paul, of course, you love them from The Daily Show, The Late Night with Colbert, and his many appearances all over the TV set. I'm kind of excited because locally in the Detroit area, Paul Mercurio is coming to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. I know I mentioned Mark Ridley so much. How are they not a sponsor? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Paul's coming April 5th, 6th, and 7th to the Comedy Castle. But I'm also excited that Craig Shoemaker is coming April 28th, 29th, and 30th to the Comedy Castle. Craig Shoemaker, of course, you remember from episode 14 of the podcast. I've never actually met Craig in person, so I'm excited. I'm going to go out to the show, meet him, and hopefully photos will result. So look forward to that. So quick story, follow up to episode 110. Episode 110, I'm sure you recall, as the episode with Anson Williams, Potsy from Happy Days. And in that episode, we talked about, well, coincidentally, Robin Williams, cover, <laughs> and Monica's going to talk a little bit about Robin Williams in this episode. Very cool story. Anyway, back to Anson Williams for a second. So Anson Williams developed this product called Alert Drops, and part of the conversation was talking about how uh, he discovered first you could bite a lemon and that would wake you up while you were driving and that falling asleep while driving is one of the top killers in the United States or just in general. And, you know, during the interview, he kept saying, oh, we're going to save lives. We're going to save lives. And so after a couple of weeks ago, I actually get a, a text from my friend Sal, a traveling comedian, and he was said he was driving, binging my show. Thank you for that came to the Anson Williams episode, heard about the lemons, realized he was sleepy, pulled over and bought some lemons to help him stay awake. I'm not saying I saved Sal, but I'm not not saying it. Anyway, making a difference here in the podcasting world. I don't think I shared that story, but if I did, I apologize. I shared it again. Always happy to hear when, when you put good into the world. If you have your own story, tweet at me at Jeff Dwoskin Show. Love to hear from you. Monica Piper is coming up in just a minute. Prepare yourself for some amazing Roseanne impressions. Mitzi from the Comedy Store, Robin Williams, all coming up. Buckle up. But in the meantime, I do want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. 
Today's interview sponsor, the great American food and beverage company, bringing you the greatest food and singing waiters and waitresses in the world. You got time? Then you got time for our planked feast. Maybe a barbecue turkey leg baskets up your alley. Maybe you feel like a delicious roast beef dinner or a cold sandwich or a hot sandwich. Ribs. How about ribs? We got ribs. We got chili. If it's made with meat, you can find it at the great American food and beverage company. Best food, best singing. And listening to live music while eating is clinically proven to help digestion. Located in the heart of Los Angeles, California. All right, well, I'm hungry and nostalgic now, but I think this is a great time to share the conversation I had with Monica Piper with you. You're going to love it. Enjoy. All right, everyone. I want to welcome to my show my next guest, comedian, writer, Emmy winner, actor, playwright, Monica Piper. Monica, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. We'll cover the Roseanne show at some point, but please do go into your Roseanne impression anytime you feel like it. I've heard you do it, and I love Oh, my God. Do I really have to? All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, too funny. So, Monica Piper, you... Monica, you are hilarious. You've had a Showtime special. You've written for Mad About You, Veronica's Closet, Roseanne, so much. A one-woman show. The one that people get excited about is Rugrats. Believe it or not, they go, okay, Roseanne, blah, blah, blah. Rugrats? They love that. I was more of a duck man myself, but... I wrote an episode of Duckman, and it was one of the most fun scripts I've ever written. It was the, I say to people, it's the greatest show that no one ever heard of. I mean, you did. You're a Duckman fan, so you're cool. So many people never heard of it. I didn't randomly pick it up. I knew you wrote for it. I knew you wrote. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I forgot I sent you a bio. Well, it's okay. your IMDb. I do some research before the show. A, I don't just. I didn't I just go. It was oh such yeah, such a coincidence. <laughs> you go Rugrats. I'm like, I'm a Duckman guy, and you're like, oh, I wrote for that. No, no, I know that must. It must have been so much fun. It was. It was. Uh, didn't get its due. It should have gone much longer. Should be around even today. It should be. I mean, it was just hilarious. So dark and so irreverent. You know, it was just such a funny show. But anyway, writing that Duckman got me into Klasky Chupo, which is the company that did Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. And you kids of the 90s out there, you know what I'm talking about. Rugrats, that's where you won your Emmy, right? Yes, I did. We submitted my script and we won the Emmy. Yeah, I'm excited about it. How cool is that to win an Emmy? I mean, it's just like, it must be the coolest thing. Well, I actually do a joke about it in my play. I talk about them announcing, we were nominated for an Emmy. And I go, oh my God, that's so amazing. I'll have to get a gown. Well, it's the daytime Emmys. Okay, a sassy cocktail dress. Well, it's the creative arts daytime Emmys. It's like on a Tuesday. I go, great. I can go in my pajamas. <laughs> Nobody cared. But it was, yeah, it was, of course it was great. You know, there were a lot of people there and I, there I was holding the Emmy and making a speech and it was cool. 
Yeah, those shows like the Emmys and the Oscars, they, they highlight certain awards, certain categories, I should say, of their awards. And people don't get, unless they do like a little kind of snippet of, oh, and these are the scientific awards that we gave away last week. You know, like there's so many of those that they give away <laughs> that most people don't even know exist, but it's I awesome. Know. Well, thank you. It says my internet is unstable and it's like, that's all I need. I'm unstable enough. And now I hear my internet is unstable as well. <laughs> so let's hope for the best. Well, we'll, so we'll try and work around it. I'll let you know if, if you come in and out. On your path to Emmy greatness, there, was, <laughs> yeah. there were other milestones along the way. What was your entree into comedy? I read that your father was a comedian. Well, he was not a stand-up comedian. He was actually the first person had what was called a record act, where he was actually the first person to lip sync to popular records. And his act was called Roy Davis and his funny graph. Instead of phonograph, he was so clever. He was the funniest human being on the planet to grow up with. My father was hilarious. In the months before my son's bar mitzvah, I said, Dad, this is insane. Every time I turn around, it's a thousand bucks. He said, don't turn around. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's fun growing up with a fun parent. He really was funny. I remember when I was on the road, I was headlining and I called my father and said, hey, dad, I'm on the same show with my boyfriend. It's so cool. He says, wait a minute, you're on the same show with your boyfriend? I said, yeah, got, aren't you the headliner? I said, yeah. He said, so you're, you're dating an opening act? I said, uh, yeah. Well, at least, you know, he'll be home early. That was my father. <laughs> Sorry, my voice is so deep today. I did a show today. We had 9,000 rehearsals. And this morning, for some reason, I sound like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> I'll just release it twice. Once uh, an interview with Monica Piper and once as an interview with Ernest <laughs> Borgnine. Oh, man. Okay. So, all right. We're all good. We're all good. So, all right. So you grew up with a funny, uh, funny dad record. That's an interesting thing. The, the comedian, uh, record comedian. I hadn't heard of that. So that that's pretty cool. What led you to kind of doing stand up and improv and all that kind of stuff? Well, I was a high school English teacher outside of San Francisco. I started hanging out at the uh, Holy City Zoo at night where all the comics were. But I really didn't think I would do stand-up, but I knew I could do improv. I mean, actually, this is a true story. If you, It won't take that long. I decided, when, see, when I lived in Chicago, before I moved to San Francisco, I joined Second City's Sunday show. So I was doing improv with Second City people on Sundays. And then when I moved to San Francisco, I was still an English teacher, but I really loved doing improv. So I saw an ad in the paper in San Francisco for a comedy troupe audition, something like that. So I went, it was in Berkeley, and I went, the guy, I said, uh, where's the rest of the group? He said, no, 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 this is for stand-up. I said, well, I don't do stand-up. I do improv. He said, all right, get up there and improv. So I was by myself on a stage with no one to work off of. So I just started riffing, you know, about the lights and the stage and the people. And, and he said, all right, that's funny. Go to the spaghetti factory, 
So I go to the spaghetti factory and the other guy that they wanted me to do improv with was an unknown funny guy called Robin Williams. And I'm like, I didn't know. No one knew who he, you know, he wasn't famous Robin yet. And he was hilarious and generous and a perfect improver, you know, set me up. And anyway, he said, you're a very funny lady. Then he brought me into his improv group at the Holy City Zoo. So I did improv for two years at the Holy City Zoo with Robin and four other hilariously funny people. It's when I started watching all the comics. Dana Carvey got really funny impressionist Jim Giovanni, Paula Poundstone. I mean, they were all just doing stand-up there. And that's when I caught the bug. I quit teaching the following year. I tell people I quit teaching because I couldn't handle the money and prestige. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and then I moved to L.A. And, you know, I, I was a singing waitress three nights a week at a, at a place. And then I auditioned at the comedy store and got in and, and that's how it started. You started an improv troupe and just happened to be in an improv troupe. Your opening improv experience happens to be with an unknown Robin Williams. That's absolutely. Yes. But we did have a few set pieces. We had a really funny song about remember EST. E- Never mind. I'm sounding like a crazy old person. So we would rehearse at my house. We became good friends. Then he was immediately brought down to L.A. And he got on the he was a regular on the Richard Pryor show. And then he got Mork and Mindy. And then that, you know, he took off after that. Did you maintain friendship with him once he got super famous or did you kind of? I cannot say we were, I was in his close inner circle, but whenever we saw each other, he always gave me a huge warm welcome and a big hug. And he quoted some of the funny, funny lines and that we did together. So it was always a good feeling. Do you have some good photos kind of in the scrapbook from that time? Fabulous photos. You know, sometimes like those amazing things happen in your lives. And at the time, you you know, cameras aren't like today where you just have them. I was just curious if that moment in time you have captured yourself. I will send them to you. They are really great, really great photos of that time. You'll be amazed at how young he looks. I mean, he was so young. All right. Now, I do not want to gloss over you being a singing waitress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a restaurant. And it started, it was called the Great American Food and Beverage Company. And the guy that owned it owned, uh, there were three of them, where all the waiters and waitresses entertained. And a lot of great people came out of there. Katie Seagal. Yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. She was a singing waitress there. And uh, Michael Winslow. that does. Oh, sure, sure. From... Uh... Police Academy movies. All the Police Academy movies. So he would do, I mean, we would do our shtick, you know, but, and I sang, but it was there late at night. I would sit on top of the piano and try out jokes. It's before I ever auditioned to become a, you know, at the comedy store. And I would sit on top of the piano and I'd sing the blues, but it was, then it became like a talking blues and I would try out all the jokes that I'd written that day. So I was really lucky. 
I mean, a lot of comedians don't have a place to bomb before they get good. And so I had this great place where I could bomb. If a joke didn't work, I could go right back into singing the song. Or Anyway, so that's where I got my first five minutes. And uh, I auditioned at the comedy store. So I was really lucky that I had this place. You know, you'd be delivering a plank of ribs and then run up on stage, sing a song, and the busboy would come up and play the piano and the cashiers would bank their tambourines. And it just got all insane for like three minutes where you'd perform and then you'd run back to being a waitress again. So it was it was crazy. The only time I've ever been in a restaurant, Johnny Rockets. We used to have a Johnny Rockets, and then all of a sudden they'd get up and be doing like YMCA on the yes. uh, on the bar on the bar. So was it the same songs you were singing night after night? No, I would switch them up, and and at five o'clock you're doing different songs than you're doing at eleven o'clock. Five o'clock it'd be like show tunes, a little country western, and then during the dinner rush. Oh, that's when I started doing kind of comedy for my customers. I did a thing where I, do they have Cal Worthington out where you are, the used car salesman guy, or is it just a West Coast thing? I think that's a West Coast. Anyway, this Texas guy goes, hi, I'm Cal Worthington, and boy, do I have some used cars for you. So... So I did a thing where I was Sal Worthington and I wore this huge giant cowboy hat and I sold all my customers like used cars. I sold all the men. Like if he was bald, I'd say, look at the sunroof on this guy. Stupid stuff like that. But it got me really great tips. They'd say, sell my husband. I'll give you an extra $10. So I did that. Monica, that sounds that sounds so fun. Okay, so then you 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 honed on the piano. You got your five minutes. I finished watching the Comedy Store documentary, but I'd love to hear firsthand. Like, what does it mean to? What did it really mean to audition? Like, how many times did you have to audition? How you know what, what did that mean? At the Comedy Store. At the Comedy Store, like right. I met was Mitzi watching you, and like oh, absolutely, Mitzi was watching me. Mitzi's Mitzi's voice is a lot like Roseanne's. You know, they they sound very similar. So when I do Mitzi, it's sort of a little like doing Roseanne. The date they gave me, actually, for my first audition, I realized was the the same night as the Oscars. And so I called and said, I really can't come. I'm very sick. I want to do it, but I just can't. Because I knew the audience would suck. Who's not home watching the Oscars, you know? So... They gave me another spot the following week, and I I got in right away. I got in that night. Oh, so Mitzi just loved you right after that. Not to, not to say she shouldn't have, because why wouldn't she? But is is it with is well, that normal? She or I wouldn't say. I don't know if she loved me, but she said you're very funny, and I love it because you're short. <laughs> That's what she said. So, she's, so I'm assuming she was thinking that I would do a lot of short jokes. But, you know, Mitzi, Mitzi said to one, uh, to one comic, it was so funny. She goes, I love your act, but you should dress like a banana. So uh, who knows? But she said, I love you because you're short. You know about the belly room, right? The belly room is where she put all the women. I got that from the documentary, but... Is that where you focused your time at the comedy store then, at least in the beginning? Yeah, I was. Now, by that time, 
I had left the restaurant where I was a singing waitress and I got a job waitressing at the Laugh Stop in the Valley, which was three nights a week I was in the belly room and three nights a week I was waitressing at the Laugh Stop where I was watching Elaine Boozler, Gary Shandling, David Letterman. Everybody was there because it was in town. It was another place to work and it was a paid gig. And it was there, the guy that booked that room, his name was Howard Trussman, great guy. And I said, Howard, I don't know if you know this, but I've been doing stand-up. He said, well, let me see. So I did five minutes for him and he started booking me at all the laugh stops on the road. So all of a sudden, I was going on the road as an opening act. That's a whole nother. You want to read a great book about being on the road? Rich Scheidner has a great book called I Killed. Rich Scheidner and Mark Schiff wrote stories that you won't even believe what it was like on the road. I mean, I was a female and I had to, there were comedy condos. They didn't put you in a hotel with two other comedians for a week. As a female, you know, and there were only two bedrooms, one for the headliner and one for the other two comics. So, you know, they had to decide, all right, does does the woman get the bedroom or only one headliner in the history of of all this gave up his bedroom. And that was Larry Miller. Great guy. Love Larry Miller. He's hilarious. He's hilarious. And if you really want to know he, how hilarious he is, you've you got to see him walk around the apartment in his boxer shorts because that was funny enough. No, he was he's a great guy and really funny. The book you mentioned, I killed. Uh, I had Rich, Rich was on the show. We talked a little bit about that. And uh, he's touring now. He's doing a whole history of comedy. I am going to his show, The History of Stand-Up Comedy. It goes from the Civil War to the present. I can't wait to see it. He's great. I've worked with him, and he's he's such a great guy and so funny. So funny. So funny. So, so when you were working the comedy store and then the laugh stop, was the comedy store... I was trying to get a feel from the like the documentary and just understanding like if you worked at the comedy store, did you not work at the improv? Like, was there like certain places if you like that was your home club? Because Letterman was very much in the comedy store documentary that you mentioned. You watched at the Laugh Stop. Were there certain places where if it was that was your home club, you just you didn't do the other one? Well, Mitzi said that. She said, if you're going to work here, you can't work there. And a lot of comedians started complaining, but you really kind of did draw the line. And after I had been on the road and was, you know, went from a opening act to a middle act. And by the time I was just starting to headline, I switched over to the improv. I just felt it was more my audience. I don't know. I just felt more comfortable in that room. Oh, so then you switched over to the improv. Okay. So you left yeah, the comedy just, store. I did leave the comedy store, but now I, but uh, I recently, or last year, I don't know if you know, Carol Montgomery has, she created this thing called Women of a Certain Age Comedy. It's so successful. It started out just 
women, I guess, 50 and over comics can't believe how many how many there are. And they're so funny, 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 funny. And Carol knows them all. So she started doing that. And then she came out to L.A. and put some together out here. And I've done three of them. And it was a blast. But anyway, now she's done two Showtime specials. Actually, three. She just taped the third one of Women of a Certain Age. I have no idea why I brought that up. Something you said made me think of it. You wanted to mention her Showtime special, so I could pivot right into the fact that you had a Showtime special. Oh, well, that wasn't it, but... (laughs) But yet here we are. (laughs) I know. That was my hook. My hook for the longest time was, no, Monica, just you, because things happen to me in real life that, honest to God, do not happen to other people. And so that kind of became my hook. And and that was the name of the special. And it was great. It was uh, a lot of fun. Won an award, didn't it? Ace Award? It did. An Ace Cable Award. Yes, it did. You just got, oh, you got a whole shelf. You got a shelf. Ace and Emmy. You're like, did you get to dress up for the Ace Awards or was it still a pajama thing like the Emmy win? I don't think, uh, no, no, it was actually, I think they were in New York and I didn't go. So what, what things just happened to you? What would be an example? Oh, things that don't happen to anyone else. Right, right. No, Monica, just you. (laughs) Well, during the pandemic, a couple of things happened. One, I had a, I had a temporary tooth in my mouth and I was set to have the actual crown put in. And so, but it got really loose. And so I took it out and put it on my dresser. And that night at three o'clock in the morning, the ceiling of my bedroom collapsed and fell down (laughs) for real. And the workers were coming. It was horrifying, by the way, but I wasn't hurt. It was on the other side of my bedroom, but it was insane. So I figured, well, the least I can do is put my tooth in for these guys because it showed. And I went to find the tooth and it had gotten knocked over and I couldn't find the tooth anywhere. And then I I figured, oh, it fell into my purse. And so I opened my purse to find the tooth, but I had a bag of peanuts in my purse, which opened. And so there were 1,000 pieces of peanut in there that all looked like they could be a temporary tooth. So I was, I mean, who does this happen to where you're trying to find your, I mean, I literally couldn't, at one point I actually put a peanut in thinking it was my tooth, but it it wasn't. That is so funny. That's five minutes you'll never get back. I know people. But it really did happen, things like that. Oh, and I had a Zoom show that I had to do without a tooth. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens. Like right now, I'm dealing with the window of my car won't close. The passenger window, because the motor's dead. Because I can't close the window, I can't get the car washed. And I have to take it in to get fixed, but I'm avoiding it because it's electrical. And I blink and it's a thousand bucks, so... (sighs) <sighs> don't blink. Don't blink. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a callback to your other joke. Okay, so... <laughs> a great callback to my father. <laughs> my, with my teeth, I had to stop biting on it. I can't eat hard candy anymore or taffy. That's hard it. candy? What do you mean? I'll just crack a tooth. I'll just crack a tooth. <laughs> I love eating hard candy, and I love... Um, 
Specifically, I had to stop, which I love doing. You know, like when you eat popcorn and like the uh, the seeds at the bottom, I love for some reason just biting on those. I don't know why. You know, when they're warm and you can like get in a good like bite into them. I just those stop. days are gone for you, Jeff. Those are yeah. I split a tooth and that was it. And then uh, Taffy will pull all my fillings out. It's uh, I, I feel I know, for that's you. why I can't eat jujubes anymore. Yeah, I, there's certain candies I can't eat because my fillings will go right out. I know. It's it's crazy. Fascinating conversation. This is, well, these are like the little things that someone out there, we're going to help someone. Someone will be like, I'm not alone. Someone will be like, I'm not alone. This is. <laughs> oh, good. So I thought I was alone until you start telling your story. And I'm like, oh, there's others. There's others. Everyone out there, don't be afraid. <laughs> so when you started doing comedy, you used, you, at some point you changed your name to Monica Piper. You started yes, as May Lee Davis. Yes. This is all in my play. It ran off Broadway for 200 performances. It's very autobiographical. And it's um, my parents named me May after my father's sister who had died young. But my mother thought it needed another syllable. I have no idea why. So she added a Lee. So I was May Lee Davis. But everyone throughout my life said, are you Chinese? Are you Chinese? I went, do I look Chinese? And then Davis threw everybody off with May Lee because it was like I was an Asian country Western singer and people called me May Lee. And then literally on a marquee at a comedy club, it said Mary Lee Davis because the guy couldn't fathom that that wasn't a typo. He assumed it had to be Mary Lee. So I just said, nah. now I kind of wish I still had it. Now I think it's a great name. So uh, literally one day I was walking on Santa Monica Pier and I looked up and said, wow, all I have to do is add a P to Pier and that's my name. So I did. Santa Monica Pier became Monica Piper. That's it. There you go. And my father changed his name. My father's real name was David Poss, but he changed his name for show business. So his name was Roy Davis. So we don't know where the fuck we're from. Sorry. (laughs) This is a true story. And my son is Jackson Piper, Jake Piper. So when he was in middle school, he wanted to quit the science club. And I said, no, you can't. Pipers don't quit. And he said, Mom, there's no such thing as Piper. You made it up. I said, all right, fine. Davises don't quit. Mom, there's no such thing as Davis. Papa made it up. I said, fine. Posses don't quit. He said, there's no such thing as Poss. That's the name they gave great grandpa on Ellis Island. And I just said, oh, screw it. I quit. (laughs) It's always interesting to hear where the names come from. I read you or I heard you toured with Jerry Seinfeld at one point. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a big tour, but we did Seattle and San Francisco together. We stayed in an apartment together in um, Seattle. It was fabulous because I saw a true craftsman at work. He wrote no less than five hours a day. And then on stage at night, I'd see him do an hour of A material and then a completely different hour of A material the following night. And it was incredibly inspiring. Yeah, it was great. I love watching him work, and but I loved his process. And I absolutely love his attention to the craft of writing stand-up. Where does a comma go to get a bit better laugh? 
is a three-syllable word funnier than a two-syllable word here? You know, and I see so many comics who get up and some of them are so great at riffing. They can just riff and be funny. But I see a rambling story, no real sense of timing or the craft or they'll say, you know, a hundred times, hey, and then, you know, this happened and then, you know, and I'm going, did you actually write, you know, in there, you know, I'm just a stickler for the, I mean, I really love the craft of writing great stand-up. I love it. And and I really respect those people who honor the craft. Here's a great Seinfeld story. We were on the road somewhere else. I think it was Arizona. And the opening act had like this pad and pen uh, and said to Jerry, can you give me the names of the Tonight Show and Letterman bookers and their numbers? And Seinfeld, Jerry said, why don't you just take that pad and pencil and uh, write comedy for five years and then come back and ask me? Obviously, the guy wasn't ready to get those numbers. That's great advice that he probably hated. Who cares? It's great advice. You no, I'm know? saying like the guy getting it was didn't realize it was great. Probably didn't even realize how great it was. Right. Yeah. Like, thanks a lot. You suck. <laughs> What, Jerry, you won't share the secrets? And I'm not going to share. <laughs> <laughs> you did it better than I did. I don't know. I sounded like George Burns or something. <laughs> Where in the timeline did you get that call from Roseanne? That's an amazing story. First of all, I was with Roseanne on her first Tonight Show shot. I was in the green room, myself and another comic named Jackie Diamond. We're the two people that are kind of help shape that five minutes. She had the material. I mean, don't get me wrong, but we kind of helped her put it in order and everything. So we were friends. I I met Roseanne in Denver. I was the headliner and she was the open micer at the Denver Comedy Works. And she said, oh God, you got so much material. You want to write? And then she came out and she did that Tonight Show shot. And she literally, literally was an overnight success. And then she got her series and, and that was it. I mean, I, I never heard from her again after that. Now it's years later, my son at that point was six months old and I had been taking him with me on the road. My kid and I just threw him in a suitcase and we, we went to comedy clubs all over the country. (laughs) Anyway, so we're home from a road gig and, and I get this call Hi, Monica. It's Roseanne. I went, well, hi, how are you? She goes, I heard about the baby. That is so cool. So I said, well, thank you. You know, I anyways, I uh, (laughs) so that's all she didn't really care to hear about the baby. Anyway, she said, "Uh, we need a strong female voice on the show. I want you to write on the show. So I went, oh, my God, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is the number one show in the country. It means I could get off the road. I could start my career as a sitcom writer. I could be making sitcom money. Oh my God. You know, this is like my life literally just changed. So I thanked her. I said, yeah. Now, what she didn't say was, oh, you know, that cute baby of yours. Well, you're never, ever, ever going to see him again. Because I was I had no idea I'd be there till four in the morning and, you know, have a daytime nanny and a nighttime nanny. And 
And I was truly torn when I worked on that show because, I mean, what's a greater high than pitching a joke that gets into the script and the other writers are laughing at your joke? And my agent is, you know, having daily orgasms because I'm on this show. And the other part of me was utterly miserable because I wasn't seeing my baby. The show, you know, we were, uh, Roseanne was shot in the Valley and I lived in Santa Monica and I didn't want the nanny to have to keep driving in bumper to bumper traffic just so I could see him for 15 minutes. It was horrible because, I mean, there were other people on the staff who had kids But I was a single mom and they had wives or husbands. And so it wasn't the same thing. So and my agent said, whatever you do, you can't quit. You can get fired from Roseanne. That's cool. I mean, so many great writers have gotten fired from Roseanne, but you cannot quit a hit sitcom or you won't work. So I stuck out the season and and we won a Golden Globe and that was cool. But as soon as the season was over, I just had to make a choice. I And I hated getting off the sitcom track, but it was just temporary, but I did. And I, and I went back on the road with my kid where instead of spending no time with him, I was spending all my time with him. And it was great. And that ended when he had to go to preschool. And that's when I started writing for Duckman and then Rugrats and all that. When he was old enough, I was really lucky because I got a job on Mad About You. And that was great. It was six minutes from my house. So the nanny brought him over every night for dinner and we had a great time. But we had all those years between him going to preschool and me writing I'm Mad About You, I was writing from home and I was with him constantly. It was great. That's awesome. Mad About You is one of my favorite shows ever. Love that show. One of my absolute favorite shows. I knew that voice. I actually wrote a spec script for Mad About You while I was, I had an overall deal at Klasky Chupo where I was writing for Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries, going back and forth between those. And that's when my agent sent my About You to Mad About You. And you're never supposed to do that. Never send that show to the show. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they're very critical. Oh, they this outsider thinks they can write for Mad About You when I'm here running Mad About You. But in that particular case, they really liked the script. So that was one of the greatest phone calls I ever got in my life. I went in for a meeting with Mad About with Vic Levin, who was running the show, on the way back to Klasky Chupo after the meeting on my way to Rugrats and Wild Thornberries. My agent called and said, You got it. It was great. That is awesome. That is so cool. I love the banter between the two of them, Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser is just so good. And they picked it right up when they redid the the new 10 episodes or so they just did. The two of them were just great again. I mean, Paul, let me tell you, Paul Reiser is one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. I mean, not only really funny, but just such a great guy. He loved being involved in the writer's room. He just loved all that hands-on with the writers. And he was just 
so complimentary and laughed so hard at other people's joke that they were writing for his voice. That's so cool. I, my friends and I, we got real worried about Paul Reiser recently. He was on the Kaminsky method because they made him look so old on that show or much older than he is. And we're like, oh God, what happened to Paul Reiser? And we realized uh, they were just trying to make him older. <laughs> well, no, I mean, he's, he is older, but he's not, he didn't look like in the other things he was doing. He didn't look like he did on the Kaminsky method. <laughs> oh God, I know. What's next? What's next? Tell me more about you. Just landed a short indie movie. Tell me. Tell me more about that. Actually, let's let's talk about what was is. Is it a name? Is it ever released? Date? Is it out? Yes, already? it's called Grandma Bruce. It hasn't been released yet. We just filmed it. It's a great, I mean, it's called Grandma Bruce and I'm Grandma Bruce. I saw a picture of you as Grandma Bruce on your Facebook page. Oh, right. Yeah. They got you all Golden Girls. You look like you're going to be on the Golden Girls or something. I know. And a lot of people said that. And it's a great story. It's about a young lesbian woman who's on her way to meet her girlfriend's parents. And she's feeling very insecure about her choices. Me, her dead grandmother shows up in the car, in her rear view mirror. The bulk of the movie is the interaction between us where we both come to terms with her choices. At first, I'm against them, not not being a lesbian, but trying to wear goofy hats and looking so, you know, you got to fit in, you want them to like you. And then it goes on this journey of her grandmother remembering when she was a young woman, all the things she had to do to fit in that she wished she hadn't had to do. And so it's really a revelation for both of them. And at the end, she, she says, you, you got to do what you got to do. And it's really a beautiful little short movie. And uh, it'll be uh, it'll be out next year. And they said it's going to hit all the film festivals and and everything. So anytime I can act, I'm happy. Well, then I'm happy that you got to act. That's so fun. That's so cool. All right. Well, so we'll look yeah. for that. And then I think the final thing that we should talk about is Not That Jewish, your awesome yeah. off-Broadway play. Well, first it was um, it was commissioned by what was then called the Jewish Women's Theater in L.A., which is now called The Braid. They commissioned me to write it. I had performed in many of their salon shows with all these original stories. And they did, and it opened there at their theater called The Braid, and it was supposed to run for six weeks, and it ended up running for 16 months. A New York producer heard about it, and he flew out to come see it. And next thing I know, we're opening off-Broadway at this fab at New World Stages, and it's an autobiographical play that's very funny, but it's very moving. You know, a lot of stand-ups do one-person shows, and some of them end up being stand-up with furniture. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, okay, you're basically doing stand-up, but you threw some, you're doing it on a set. This wasn't that. This was a real play with a real beginning, a middle, and an end, and and about the adoption of my son, about the death of my of my father about my early, my, I actually audition at the comedy store on stage. There's a brief moment where the whole stage becomes the comedy store. And it's about that. And it's about winning the Emmy for Rugrats and how cool it was that it was my son's favorite show. 
When I was writing on Mad About You and I had a script due, I had to say to my kid, I can't play with you right now. I can't. Mommy has a script due. Um, Mom, and this is a true story. I said, Mommy has a script due. So I bought you all these frozen kids cuisines. You're going to love them. And so don't ask me to cook or buy food for three days because Mommy has a script due. And then we were out of milk and we had to run to Bob's Market, which is the hub of political correct Santa Monica. And we're in there rushing because we were out of milk. He passes the produce section and my son says, Mommy, broccoli, because he loved broccoli. And I said, I told you no. And and these women, their jaws dropped. Excuse me, we've never met, but did you just tell your son he couldn't have broccoli? <laughs> and my son says, yeah, she has a script due. <laughs> so, worst mother in the world. The beautiful part was when I was writing on Rugrats after that, I went back to Rugrats. After Mad About You, I wrote on Veronica's Closet. After Veronica's Closet, they asked me to come back and be the head writer of Rugrats. So I did. And that was so beautiful because instead of saying to my son, I can't talk to you now. I have a script due. I could say, Jakey, come here. I need a joke for Chucky because he loved that show. Say, oh, well, what if blah, blah, blah. You know, I go, that's great. That's I can work with that. That's really cool. What's next for the play? I'm turning Not That Jewish into a memoir, adding a lot of extra stuff. And so when we do tour, I'll have a book you can buy. There you go. Everyone loves a nice takeaway. And then they can meet you after and you can sign the book. That always makes people buy it, I think. Exactly. Sounds like a gold mine. One more thing. I This whole other thing I do, by the way, is called Find the Funny. Oh, that's your keynote stuff that you do? I was the uh, closing keynote speaker at the Irma Bombeck Writers Workshop, at the Central Coast Writers Workshop, at the Central Coast Women's Conference, and a whole bunch of health organizations, premier oncology. And I love doing it. It basically tells you how to deal with stress by opening your eyes and your ears and looking around and finding the funny because there's funny stuff going on all around you. It's just a way to take a stressful moment and put your head in the right headspace to see what's funny about it. It's a workshop uh, with great tips and techniques that I figured out over the years how to take even the worst situation. I mean, even I'm talking death. I'm talking, I had cancer and I had to find the funny during that whole period. It really works. I swear to God, it really works how to beat the stress and find the funny in your life. I believe in that too. And people can hire you to come to events and do that kind of stuff. Do that, do that type of speaking. Absolutely. That's, that's what they do. Awesome. Hire me, go to my, email me at Monica at MonicaPiper.com. And if you want me to do find the funny for your organization, you can go to YouTube and look, just look up Monica Piper, Irma Bombeck Workshop, Monica Piper, Premier Oncology, and you'll see, see some examples of what I do. Awesome. Monica, you've had such an amazing career and you continue to have such an amazing career. I thank you for sharing all these stories with me. It was so fun talking with you. And I'm glad this wasn't video because I'm in my pajamas, people. 12 minutes after two in California and I'm still in my pajamas. There's no shame in that. 
There's been days I've I've spent the entire day in my robe and my wife threatens to kick me out if I don't put real clothes on. So I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Today I'm going to cuz I had a big Zoom show yesterday. Today I'm uh, I'm going to put on my Dodger hat. Go Dodgers. Go Dodgers. All right. <laughs> Thank you Monica so much. I had a blast. This was fun. I had a lot of fun. I hope I didn't talk too much. I hope anything I said made sense. And I had a great time. Thanks, Jeff. Bye, everybody. You were awesome. And thank you so much. All right. How awesome was Monica? Do not hesitate to hire her for your next corporate event. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app. Always free. Doesn't cost a penny at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Download the app. Get notified every time a hashtag game begins. Tweet along with us and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. Today's hashtag Hashtag fake nutrition facts. Of course, inspired by the hilarious story of Monica and the broccoli from the interview. That story wasn't exactly about nutrition, but it was about foregoing healthy food for a while in lieu of frozen food. This one felt fun and close. I went back into the archives for this one. This one's from 2016. A lot of people are going to get a little like, what's going on with this retweet? But here we go. Here are some fake nutrition facts from hashtag fake facts. The only game on Twitter where it pays to know nothing and make everything up. Here we go. Hashtag fake nutrition facts. Putting a carb in your apple bong helps digestion. Calories don't count on your birthday. These are some great examples to kick off hashtag fake nutrition facts. Here's some more for you to plan your diet by. A whatchamacallit has all the vitamins you can't pronounce. Eating carrots will make you grow a bunny tail. Hippity hop over here. Protein shakes bring all the crossfitters to the yard. Kale ruins your credit rating. Oh, that one's true, actually. Pancakes made by demon children have no calories. That was by Tara Strong. It is much easier to burn off pizza calories if you eat several at once instead of one pizza a day. That is true. I proved that in college, I believe. And our final hashtag fake nutrition facts to get you going on your day. You should avoid investigating the food pyramid because of the curse of the mummy. (laughs) All right. Those were some great hashtag fake nutrition facts. If you got your own, tweet it, tag us at Jeff Jawaskin Show. All those tweeters will be retweeted at Jeff Jawaskin Show. Show them some love as they'll be shocked to see a tweet from 2016 suddenly get a like and a retweet. Well, that's it. That's the end of the hashtag game. The interview's over. It can only mean one thing. Episode 123 has come to a close. I want to thank my special guest, Monica Piper. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.